Josh Fillmore. I want to send out a special welcome to you all. Uh, but especially with those of you who are visiting for the first time, maybe you haven't been here in a while, maybe you haven't been to church before, and we're just so glad that you're here. We believe that this local church is here with the purpose of being a light into this community. The reason that we're right here is so we can reach the people who are right here. That's why we're here, and our motto is to share the journey. So if you are here with us for the first time, first time in a long time, maybe you've been coming over the last month, we just want to let you know we are so excited that you're here, and this is a place where you can find hope. This is a safe place where you can be real and vulnerable and be who you are. It's a busy morning, isn't it? There are a number of different items that we went through. Um, I just want to thank the band. Times of uh, energy, times of reflection, immense truth in those songs. I want to thank Jerry for his talk. I thought it was great. I don't know what the cricket sounds were. I don't know where they came from, Jerry. I thought your talk was great. We're, uh, we're doing three years through the Bible. You might be thinking three years, that's a long time. Well, it's not. There are 66 books that make up the Bible, and to go through all of them in three years is a big undertaking. We're going to be chewing off 48 chapters of Ezekiel this morning. You ready for that? <laughs> I don't know if I am. I think it's 48. Are there 48 in the book? Nobody's fact-checking this morning? I need some accountability up here this morning. I'm going to talk about Ezekiel for the rest of our time in the auditorium this morning. And then after the service, you're all invited to join us in the cafe for a hot meal where we can enjoy some fellowship and continue to build community and talk about what we've heard today. And we're excited for that. But I want to start a little differently today. You might be thinking, uh-oh, what's, what's going to happen here? I want to stand up and I want to read Psalm 23. Does that sound good? Let's all stand up. We're going to read Psalm 23. If this is your first time in church, Psalm 23 is still probably familiar to you. It's well known in pop culture. We're going to read Psalm 23. You ready? Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can take a seat. It's a great passage, isn't it? All right, now let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. How many people thought that that was a pretty powerful testimony from Vicki and Eva this morning? That was pretty neat, wasn't it? God said... Vicky said that God was with her in the chemo. Eva was with her, and God was with her in that struggle. I think that's just incredible. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're thinking about your struggle. 
And you're thinking, man, it's so dark, there's no way that God can be here. Or you know, the Bible says, and I hear preachers say, where two or three are gathered, God is there in their midst. Well, I'm so lonely, God couldn't be here. I want to talk about God's presence this morning. What does God's presence look like? How does God's presence function? What does God's presence look like in my life? Is God's presence in my life? And ultimately, what does God's presence mean for my life, for the future, and for eternity? Does that sound good? We'll talk about God's presence this morning. Are you with me? All right. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 1. In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat among the exiles by the Chebar Canal, the heavens were opened, I saw a vision of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the Chebar Canal. The hand of the Lord was upon him there. In the land of the Babylonians, by the Chebar Canal, the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Who's Ezekiel? Ezekiel is a priest from Jerusalem. He's the son of Buzi, which doesn't mean much, I've found out. I don't think Buzi means despair, so I don't know what his whole background was like. It doesn't sound that great. But he was taken in the first wave of captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon, and for now, the city of Jerusalem is still standing and doing all right. It is five years since, and the day is his 30th birthday. How's this for a great way to start out? Terrible situation. To top it all off, it's his 30th birthday. I think I'm going to need a glass of water this morning. Does somebody mind getting me a glass of water? Thank you very much. 30th birthday, the year that he would officially become a priest in Jerusalem. You can read Numbers chapter 4, when the people turned 30, that's when they'd enter the tent of the house of meeting and minister as priests. John the Baptist started his ministry when he was 30. Jesus started his ministry when he was 30. Ezekiel's 30 years old. It's his 30th birthday. He's sitting beside the canal next to Babylon in exile. This is where our story begins. You know, I can relate to Ezekiel. He's 30 years old. I'm 30 years old. His birthday's July, my birthday's July. Write that down, that's important to know for the future. (laughs) He's a priest, I'm a pastor. He was called to a far-off eastern land. I was called to a far-off eastern Colchester County, the greatest village that there ever was. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I think Ezekiel reminds us of us. I don't know if you remember your 30th birthday. I don't know if you remember the birthday where it got to the point where, ah, this doesn't feel so exciting anymore, you know? I thought I was going to get to see 30 countries before I turned 30. Didn't happen. Maybe you're thinking, I thought I was going to be married before I turned 30, and that didn't happen. I thought I was going to be moved out from mom and dad's house by the time I was 30. (sighs) And it turns out, doesn't look like that happened. (laughs) I thought I was going to have my life figured out by the time I hit 30. And I'm 50, 60, 70, 80, thank you so very much, and a bottle at that, thank you, I appreciate it. 
And it turns out, here I am, 70, 80 years old, and I still don't have everything figured out. You know, I've got this issue. I always think that the next phase in life is going to be that much better. If, if we just reach the next phase, then the crying baby and poopy diaper stage, that'll be all done. We'll be in the next stage, and it will be great if we can just get there. But the truth is, I'm 30. I don't have my life figured out. I don't know all the answers. I don't know the ins and outs. We talked about that two weeks ago. But the hand of the Lord was with Ezekiel there. The Lord is my shepherd. He comforts me. He leads me. He is with me. What does it mean that God is with us? Not just on the mountaintops, not just when life is good, not just when life meets our expectations, but in the pain, in the sorrow, in the defeat, in the disappointment, in loss. What does it mean that God is with me? You can take God's people out of the promised land, but you can't take God out of his people. Amen? If you've made the most important decision of your life by choosing to give Jesus your life, then he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit and God puts his stamp, his seal upon you, his imprint on your life. God's presence is with you wherever you go, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley of the shadow of death. God's presence is with you. You remember we talked about Solomon's temple, how God's presence filled the temple. And then we talked about how Paul correlates the temple of the Old Testament with our bodies in the New Testament. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you? God's presence is with us wherever we go. God is with you through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the new life that we have in Jesus. God is with you. Ezekiel may be on a foreign riverbank 200 miles from the capital of Babylon and 1,000 miles from home, but God is with him there. The hand of the Lord was upon him. Ezekiel 1, verse 4. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. Sounds like God's presence, doesn't it? You remember Elijah on the mountain? The fire, the earthquake, the great wind, and then the still small voice. And then you remember Moses on that same mountain as he was receiving the Ten Commandments. It says that he walked up into the cloud. And it, the Bible says that the cloud looked like fire encapsulating the mountain. The brightness and the glory of God's presence. And then Jesus, with his disciples, he went up on a mountain. And he was transfigured before them. And it says that his face shone like the sun, his clothes white as light, and the appearance of Moses and Elijah, two who walked up the mountain and saw God's glory, appeared there with him. Then a bright cloud overshadowed them, and it was the glory of God's presence. And then God spoke, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 1 John 1.5 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What does God's presence look like? It looks like light. God's presence is light. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Holy Spirit illuminates scripture to us. God's gracious presence. Ezekiel sees the vision of it. Ezekiel sees Four creatures, four faces, four wings, four wheels inside of four wheels. And then those wheels 
travel across the sky, going forwards, backwards, side to side, without turning, but still turning within each other. Make sense? And you know, most of us get there in the book of Ezekiel, don't we? We get like partway through chapter one, and then we think, whoa, <laughs> this is going right over my head. And we don't go the rest of the way. But how many know that pushing through the tough things in life often leads to the best things in life? You got to go through the hard things before you get to experience the best things in life. Ezekiel chapter one, verse 26. And above the expanse over their heads, these creatures and wheels, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness of human appearance and upward from what appeared to be the waste, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around, like a rainbow. God's promise to never flood the earth again. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel saw a vision of God's glorious presence in the form of God riding on his throne, which looked like a rainbow going through the sky. And it's not a Skittles commercial. You're not going to taste the rainbow, Jeff. This is God's glory casting through the sky. On Friday morning, I watched the sunrise. And I can do it now because the time has changed and days are getting shorter, so it's like after 7 a.m., so, you know, we can do that. I watched the sunrise. If you want to see God's glory, look at the sunrise. Look at the sunset, the lights that fill the sky. Just before the sun rises is the prettiest, most beautiful colors across the sky. God's glorious presence, his sovereignty over creation. I can just imagine what Ezekiel is thinking. God, what are you doing here? I'm in Babylon, not in Jerusalem, not in Judah, not in Israel, not in our hometown. I'm not where your presence normally is. I'm in Babylon. Maybe you think to yourself, God, it's Wednesday. I'm at work. I'll see you on Sunday, right? God, your presence is in the church building. And I'll drive there at 10.30 Sunday morning and I'll get to experience some of your presence and then, you know, I'll hang up the hat and I'll head home for the rest of the week. But the truth is, God's presence goes with us. God's presence goes with us. It's incredible where we can see God working. If we're aware of and in tune with his presence, you can see God working all over the place. Is God present and active in your situation today? Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, we looked at last week and said, his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. And you remember two weeks ago, Habakkuk, God said, I am doing such a great work, if I told you, you would not even believe it. God is present and active and working. And he shows up and he has his hand on Ezekiel in the land of Babylon to show that he is present and active and working, and his presence is there with Ezekiel. Chapters 2 to 3, God appoints Ezekiel to warn the people. This captivity and this oppression would be matched by another. God's judgment on Israel's stubborn and rebellious heart 
was not done. God says, preach to my stubborn people. Eat my words like honey and go. Get into the word and go. Preach my message whether they listen or not because most of them aren't going to listen. How's that for a commissioning, right? Go preach my message to the people. They're probably not going to listen. Do you ever feel like that? You know, I know Jesus saved my life and then he told me to go and tell people how he saved my life and to point them to him to share the journey. That's what we're all about here at Faith Baptist Church. But I tried that. I tried it once. I tried it twice. I'm a really good Christian, so I tried it three times and I got rejected every time. Three strikes, I'm out. I must not just be that kind of person. I must not have the gift of evangelism. It must not fit with my personality. I'm not a pastor, right? What's the excuses that you've used? I know the ones that I've used. And God says, they're probably not going to listen anyway. Chapter 3, God explains that Ezekiel would be like a watchman for the people, warning them of anything coming in the distance, just like Habakkuk taking his stand in the watch post and keeping an eye out for what God would answer him concerning his complaint. Ezekiel was to watch to see what was coming and warn the people. This was his duty as a prophet. And our duty as Christians is just the same. To tell people, to warn people, to communicate to people the message of the gospel about their need for forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. May people say of us, they believe Jesus is important enough to tell me about him. They believe God's love has changed their life enough that I need it too. They're trying to tell me because they actually believe this stuff. You know, the world is trying to figure out if we actually believe what we say we believe. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18. God says to Ezekiel, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, their blood is on your hands if you don't give them the message. That's a big responsibility, isn't it? Ezekiel, if you don't warn the people, then the iniquity of their blood is going to be on your hands. That's all our responsibility as well, isn't it? That's all our responsibility. Newsflash, everyone dies. Did you know that? Death and taxes, the two sureties in life. If Jesus doesn't return, I'm going to die. That's the truth of the matter. We need to flip the question from, if I tell somebody, what if they think I'm weird? What if they think I'm awkward? The truth is, we're all weird. We're all awkward. There is no normal. What you think is normal is weird to somebody else, so we're all weird. Let's just get over that one right now. We need to flip the question so that instead of asking, what does it mean for me, what does it mean for them if we don't tell them? Who's going to tell them? There are so many people in this community who have not been told and invited to heaven and have not been told and warned of hell. We need to get some urgency. 
We need to get at it. We need to get out there and go because people are dying without the hope of Jesus Christ. Do we realize that this morning? It's more important than whatever you've got going on this week. There are people out there who are dying with no hope. There are people out there who have no future, in full despair, and there will be people today who will take their life because they have no hope. We need to get out there. Where's the sense of urgency? Why do we wait? What is our excuse? Now, I've said this in other sermons. Maybe this is the point in the sermon where you need to take out your cell phone. And you need to text that person that God is laying on your heart and say, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., we're doing coffee because I need to tell you something. Do it. Pull out your phone right now. If you have somebody on your mind and on your heart, if the Holy Spirit is impressing a certain name, a coworker, a classmate, a family member, a child, a parent on your heart, pull your cell phone out, text them right now, and tell them, when can we get together this week? I have something so important to tell you, it can't wait. What's stopping us? Is it insecurity? Is it fear? Is it because we don't actually believe this stuff? Because we don't actually believe that we're not in war with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the spiritual realm? And Satan is doing all that's in his power to keep us from getting out there and share this message? What is it that's stopping us? This isn't some pyramid marketing scheme where if you have more people below, you get more benefits above. This is war. This is life and death. This is hope and despair. This is light and darkness. Let's get a sense of urgency. Because if you don't tell them, who will? And maybe we need to flip the question even further. What if I tell them it might be awkward? What if you don't tell them? Well, what if the person who told you never told you? What if that faithful parent or grandparent or friend or neighbor who brought you, who shared the message with you, what if they never told you? Ezekiel, if you don't warn the people, their blood will be required at your hand. That's heavy stuff. Oh, but God, I don't... I don't feel like I can do that right now. Disney Plus just came out and I don't have time to get out there. Really though, what's our excuse? We need a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency for the mission clears the clutter. It clears the clutter, the chaff, whatever's in our life that doesn't need to be there. A sense of urgency for the mission clears the clutter. If we have a white-hot passion to see people come to Jesus, then who cares about our little squabbles? Who cares about the paint color? Who cares about the musical style? Who cares about, name it. Who cares? If our sense of urgency to see people come to Jesus is white hot, who cares about anything else? Let's get out there. Let's do it. Pull out your phone. What is that name of somebody who you need to tell this week? Let's get a sense of urgency. God is with us. God has commissioned us. Our concern is not our preferences, but it's to see people come to Jesus and find the hope and the only real life that there is. Amen? Starting in chapter 4, 
Ezekiel does a bunch of street performances to illustrate the messages that God is sending to the people. He builds this tiny little model of Jerusalem and then he acts out a siege and he's got like little people and figurines. Ezekiel used props. (coughs) Ezekiel took a sword, he cut off all his hair and he chopped it up and he threw it around to show how Israel would be scattered around. Ezekiel played the scapegoat. He laid on his side and then switched to the other side 390 days total and he cooked his food over dung. God told him it should be human dung and then he negotiated with God and God said, okay, I'll let it be cow dung. I thought that was really important information that you needed to know from the book of Ezekiel so you could go out this week. In fact, it was so important that today in our cafe, I won't go there. I'll stop right there. But all of these were to serve as pictures to illustrate the second invasion, the second wave of invasion, that Babylonian and King Nebuchadnezzar weren't done invading and taking people to Babylon. You know, it'd take some courage to chop all your hair off, wouldn't it? Maybe for some of us, you know, it wouldn't take a lot because maybe we don't have a lot, but it would take courage to lay on your side for 390 days and eat food cooked over poop, wouldn't it? Can we just be honest? Like, how many people would be like, "Uh, no, God, that's too far. I'm not doing that. Everybody will think I'm weird. What's the purpose behind that? So why can't we go knock on our neighbor's door? Why can't we stop the woman who delivers our mail and talk about anything deeper than the weather? What's stopping us from getting out there? Who cares if people think we're weird? I think I'm weird. Why don't we just get out there and do it and get a sense of urgency? Ezekiel had the courage to do what God called him to do. Chapter 8, one year and one month after Ezekiel first sees God's glory riding through heaven. He's 31 years old. Ezekiel is lifted by the hair and he's carried to Jerusalem in a vision by the vision of the, uh, the picture of God's presence and his glory riding on the throne, lifting him carrying him, and then he's asked to dig a hole in the wall to get inside and get a virtual tour of the temple. Who said the Bible was boring? Drugged by his hair? In chapter 10, Ezekiel watches as God's glory leaves the temple and heads east to Babylon. God's glory riding on the rainbow. He wasn't leaving flippantly. He was driven away by the abominations, the adultery of his people. Then we come to chapter 11. This is the big transitional chapter in the book of Ezekiel. This is what we're building to and what we will flow out of. I've got to be honest, the minor prophets for me, we've been talking about sermons and sermon series and having promotional material. And this would be a tough one to promote because the minor prophets, it's just like judgment and oppression and like a lack of hope and If I were to name my favorite books of the Bible, the Minor Prophets probably wouldn't be up there. I don't know if I share Sean's love for, like this passage is cool, but the Minor Prophets are difficult. That's why we're going on a journey through the Bible in three years to see that the overarching theme behind the Bible is not God's punishment on the people he hates. It's God's loving rescue mission for humanity whom he loves. And we see that throughout the minor prophets. We see a lot of doom, a lot of gloom, a lot of judgment for their sin and adultery. And those things are present today. But through it all, we see these little glimmers of hope, don't we? And that's what I want to unearth. That's what I want to show you today. In chapter 10, 
God's presence leaves Jerusalem and heads to Babylon. But in chapter 11, we see that one day, God's presence and his people will be brought home. Chapter 11, verse 16. God speaking to Ezekiel. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I remove them far off among the nations, and though I scatter them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. God's presence goes with his people. You can take God's people out of the promised land, but you can't take God from his people. That's up to him. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 17, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather from the peoples an assembly, assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it the detestable things, all its abominations. I will give them one heart, And a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Does it ever feel like when you tell people about Jesus, there's just a stone wall? God's in control of that heart. God can break it down. God can replace it with a heart of flesh. Verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people. I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own. God will gather his people back. God will give them their promised land. God will remove their hard hearts. God's judgment and justice is always balanced with his loving mercy. I don't know if you've found that to be true in your own life, but God's punishment and judgment and justice and righteousness are always so balanced with his grace and mercy and love. Sometimes he's so for us that he has to stand against us to draw us back to himself. It's discipline, it's correction, it's love. God's presence always calls. God's presence is light. God's presence is always calling, inviting, drawing us back, calling us away from sin. It's always inviting. Someday God would bring his people back from the mess they've gotten themselves into. You ready to do a big jump? Chapters 12 to 24. Is that a big jump? Illustrate the judgment that was still to come for Israel's idolatry. And there's more pictures. Ezekiel talks about Israel is a burnt stick, good for nothing. Ezekiel talks about Israel as an adulterous wife who's run around and been unfaithful on God. Ezekiel talks about Israel as a raging lion who's captured in a net who can do no more harm. Ezekiel talks about Israel and Judah as two promiscuous sisters who are running around with all the nations around them. And judgment was coming. Chapter 20 There's a summary of the history of Israel from when they came out of captivity in Egypt until they went back into captivity in Babylon. And it's just rebellion and turning from God and hardening their hearts the whole way. This wasn't a new issue. This has been the cycle of humanity since the dawn of time to turn our backs on God and God is ever so lovingly calling us back through his people, through kings, through prophets like Ezekiel. Chapter 22, God says this picture. I kind of wanted to preach on this one right here. He looked for a man to stand in the breach. Have you heard this part of Ezekiel? Build the wall up and look for a man to stand in the gap to fight for the city, to intercede for the city. If God came here today and looked at us, 
Would he find some men, women, teenagers, children, seniors, people who would be willing to stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of their community? Would God find that? Would God find a man to stand in the breach? From chapters 25 to 32, we see God's judgment on surrounding nations. In Ezekiel 33 and verse 21, here's what it says. Ezekiel 33 and verse 21. That was a lot of information. And if you drifted back during that time, just come back. All right? Ezekiel 33 verse 21. In the twelfth year of her exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem, somebody from home, a neighbor, a family member, a friend, a coworker, somebody got out of there and came to me and said, Ezekiel, the city has been struck down. The city has been struck down, Ezekiel 33 and verse 21. You know, chapter 33 starts with God telling Ezekiel, you're doing a good job. You're telling the people, you're using pictures, you have the courage to tell them what I want you to tell them, but they're not listening. How encouraging is that? God's, I believe God is an encouraging God. You know, he gives us a push, he encourages us, he lifts our spirits, he lifts us up. That doesn't really sound that encouraging. Nobody's listening, Ezekiel. And then he gives this, him this picture from the fugitive. Jerusalem's been captured, struck down, burned, taken. Judgment, but always with hope. And we know that Jesus is the ultimate hope for the world. In chapter 34, God talks about his people as if they were sheep scattered among the nations. And Jesus said about Jerusalem, Oh, my people, like sheep without a shepherd. Right? Look at Ezekiel 34 and verse 22. Ezekiel 34 and 22. God says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David. Now, David's been dead for centuries. So who is God talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, isn't he? And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Jesus told Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Verse 24, and I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. You ever slept in the woods? Nobody sleeps in the woods. They just lay awake, listen to all the sticks cracking and hope for morning. It's true though, isn't it? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. In the presence. God's presence. What is it like? No matter the fear of the situation, the good shepherd is there. God's presence is there. You're not alone. Ezekiel was a thousand miles from home, but he wasn't alone. It doesn't matter where you are. If you know Jesus, God's presence goes with you. Let's look at Ezekiel 36, verse 34. The land that was desolate shall be tilled. Instead of being a desolation that it was in the sight of all the people who passed by, and they will say, 
This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places. I love that. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do. You know God's promises are true. You can bank on them. Here's the principle. It ain't the place. It's the person. It's not about the place. It's the person. It's not about the situation that you're in today. It's not about the hopeless state. It's not about the valley of the shadow of death. It's about the good shepherd who is with us, comforting us, leading us, guiding us. Why go to Parsboro? You know, the population's declining. Industry isn't growing. Are they really up for anything new? But God is rebuilding broken places, isn't he? Why bother with Quebec? I mean, evangelical Christianity is at 0.8%. What's the hope? It's hopeless. They're lost. But God is rebuilding in hopeless, lost situations. Why care for kids in Honduras? Really? It's an impoverished country with one of the highest murder rates. But God is rebuilding broken places, isn't he? Why bother with Colchester County? I mean, it's too far gone. You know, we got all these churches. I started making a list because networking and being together and being with other churches, associating, that's important. I came up with 27 churches. And that wasn't even the end of the list. We have all these churches. What hope is there for Colchester County? Well, the truth is that God rebuilds ruined places, doesn't he? God so rebuilds ruined places that we come to chapter 37. Are you ready for this? Chapter 37 and verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Can you get more hopeless than that? Bones. Verse 2, And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. You know what that means? They've been there a long time. All refreshment is gone. All hope of life is gone is gone. All movement, all activity is gone. The place is dead and gone, forgotten. It's dried up. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what the struggle on your heart is. Many in this room have walked through the valley of the shadow of death where hope is dead, where dreams come to die, and where the enjoyment of life is gone. It's not just a valley, it's a dead end. Is God there? Is God's presence there, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Look at verse 3. And God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, a really wise answer, O Lord God, you know. You know. Only God knows what he's doing in Colchester County. Amen? Only God knows the future hope for Great Village. Only God knows what he has planned for you in the future. Verse 4. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. 
I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come to you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. You shall know that I am the Lord. Doesn't it sound like the same picture as in the original creation? When God took the dust of the earth and he what? He breathed life into it. And then even more similarly, he takes a rib from Adam and he makes Eve, doesn't he? And then he could say, it is good. Verse 10. So Ezekiel said, so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them. And they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What can God do in Colchester County? What type of army could God raise up in Great Village? Are you alive today? Is God's spirit working today? Is the word of God alive and quick, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow? Do we believe in the same God that we're reading about today is here and now, his presence is with us, and he is capable of great things? Do we believe that today? Then we need to have hope, right? We need to have urgency. We need to get on this, because if God can make an exceedingly great army out of a valley of dry bones, the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of real death, what can he do here? What can't he do here? You know, I've heard this comment a few times, and I don't like it. I'll be honest. Can I be honest? Have I asked that question before? You know, I've heard a few times, we're not going to be as big as that church. No, this is great village. We're not going to have that many people. We don't need to worry about the problems of having that many people because we're not going to have, we're never going to reach that many people. Are we content with 200, 250 people? Is that all the people who need hope today? Is that all the people in this community who need new life, who need the message of Jesus Christ today? Then we need to get our hopes up. We need to get our expectations up. If God can take a valley of dead and dry bones where there's been no life for years, and raise up an exceedingly great army, what can he do here? We so often focus on what can't happen here. We need to focus on what God can do here. There's no limit. There's no ceiling. Verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of bones, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, these, they say our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And they shall know that I am the Lord. When I open their graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, the same spirit that we have today, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. God's life-giving presence dwelling inside his newly created people. You know, Paul tells us that we're a new creation when we trust Christ as our Savior. And that same life-giving spirit indwells us when we choose to give our whole life to God through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. This is the picture. The last eight chapters of Ezekiel are a description this virtual tour that he goes on with the visions of God's glory 
the new temple and kingdom, and God shows all the splendors that he will reinstitute and redeem and restore. And the icing on the cake is that God's glorious presence remains there. You know, the best part of heaven is the fact that God's presence is fully there. And the worst part of hell is the opposite, that God's presence is not there. Look at Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 6. We're coming to the end. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. Jump to verse 9. Wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Verse 10. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Enaglam. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be very many, of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Verse 12. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water of them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and for their, sorry, their leaves for healing. Sounds like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Sounds like God has instituted his original creation, brought things back to the perfect Garden of Eden. I don't know all that heaven's going to be like. It's fun to wonder sometimes, but that sounds pretty heavenly. The disciple John says, Revelation 22 and verse 1, Then the angel showed me a river, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The new kingdom, the new Jerusalem, heavenly. You know, the final verse of the book of Ezekiel is the name of the garden, the city that's being described. And we're going to end with this. Ezekiel 48, verse 35. The circumference of the holy city shall be 18,000 cubits, the length of a man's forearm and hand. And the name of the city from that time on shall be, can we say it together? The Lord is there. God's presence is there. The rainbow, the bright, shining glory of God. Glory is the Hebrew word that means heavy. The fire, the cloud, God's presence is there. Is God's presence in Great Village today? Is God's presence in Colchester County today? Are your expectations high in a God who can raise dread and dry bones back to life and make an exceedingly great army? What could he not do today if he can do that? Amen? Why don't we close in prayer this morning? Father God, help us to have a sense of urgency. God, I feel like you are weighing on my heart this morning the fact that we're at war here, Father. We're at war between the forces of hell and a loving God who wouldn't wait for us to come to him but send his son to come to us. Emmanuel, God with us, God's presence taking on flesh God, we thank you that next month is December, that we're going to be celebrating Christmas, that we're going to be celebrating the fact that you came to us in love, offering us forgiveness and acceptance. 
God, we thank you for what you've done for us now. God, we think about this community. We think about our friends and coworkers, our family members, our neighbors, the people who have not heard the life-changing message of Jesus. God, help us to take a Christmas in the Village invitation to them this week. God, help us to invite them out to church this week. God, help us to start a conversation about spiritual things this week. Help us not to put it off because we don't know how many days we or they or any of us have left. God, we thank you so much that your son is life and truth. He's the only way. He's the only hope. God, we thank you that we rest and rely in that message. We thank you that our foundation is on the word of God and on Jesus Christ. His crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the new life that we can have in Jesus. We thank you so much for these things. We thank you for lunch that we're going to enjoy today. We thank you for the activities that we have planned this week. God, help us to be open and available and sensing your will, Father. We thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.